0: Bye. Mm-hmm. Herrick here with us for this uh, summertime edition of the, the podcast. Um, Pat is uh, a good friend and fellow board member at the, for NABA and has an interesting brass band past um, in addition to being, the, the as far as I'm concerned, the most connected person in, in North American brass banding across not only North America but also in England as well. I don't think there's a single person in the Brass Bear world that Pat doesn't know.
1: <laughs> I, don't know I, I still think I have competition within my own family for that one between Diana and Paul. I think. Uh,
0: well, maybe cool. they maybe they helped you out a little to, to know all these people. <laughs> um, but I think the, the coolest thing about, about why we wanted to talk to you is why I wanted to have some conversation with you is because. There's a plethora of events that you have had a big hand in starting um, which will you know obviously have been going on for many years and will continue to go on for many years. Um, and you know it's a, it's a unique thing to have somebody who is, is motivated and organized and, and talented enough to take something that doesn't exist and make it exist and for it to keep going in perpetuity. You know, so what, what are some of the things that you've had a hand in getting started and up and running from nothing?
1: Um, well, with the Central Ohio Brass Band, we started the Ohio Brass Arts Festival back around, I don't know, 2006 or seven. I think this was the 15th year of that. Um, we started the Ohio Brass Band in 2008, which has now become the Dublin Silver Band. And as part of the Dublin Community Bands Organization, we started the uh, Dublin Youth Brass Band in 2014. Uh, the Dublin Festival of Brass in I think 2018 and the Dublin Metro Brass in 2019. Um, so two festivals and a few different groups to add to where we are in town here. And I think you know we're fortunate because of the Ohio State marching bands. Every year there's 60 to 80 people that graduate that play brass instruments from the university that go on elsewhere. And I think that was part of what helped Paul start the Brass Band of Columbus back in whatever 1982 or three, I know you already met with him uh, last autumn, but uh, there's just a lot of players out there. And I think trying to reach more people and uh, bring them in and help them feel welcome and find a place after, after uh, school, because music is lifelong, right? We want that yeah. message for everybody.
0: Yeah, so you didn't have a, any part of forming the Central Ohio Brass Band, but, but you did have a, a part in forming the Ohio Brass Arts Festival.
1: Yes, um, I was in, it was called the Ohio Collegiate Brass when it first started, and I think maybe 1988, shoot, I didn't even play an instrument then, I didn't start an instrument until 10th grade, believe it or not, and it was because I was going to a football game, high school football game, and my friend in the band said, uh, if you come with the band and carry coach, you can get into the game for free, and when I was at the game, the band director said, hey, our trumpet player is moving away, do you want to join the band and take your spot in the show? I said, I don't play an instrument yet. And so he said, oh, we'll worry about that later. So they taught me how to play. I pretty much carried a baritone the rest of the marching band season. And then I learned how to play baritone. And over the summer, learned trombone so I could play in jazz band. And, uh, you know, so I didn't start an instrument until like 89, I think. 90. Uh,
0: that's how I, I dealt with a lot of drum corps I taught. Is, oh, you don't play here. It's fill this hole.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, in college, and, and you might find this a little bit funny, you know, I met Diana. And we started dating and she was in this Ohio Collegiate Brass Band. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And so they had auditions in the autumn for the next year. And they said, uh, you know, I'm still kind of new to an instrument. Didn't read treble clef yet, so I had to learn treble clef. You have to play a slow melody and a technical piece for your tryout. So I play Carmen Ohio, the House State alma mater, uh, for my lyrical and the Michigan State fight song for my technical. Oh, (laughs) man. And I didn't make the band.
0: (laughs) No. Uh, But I took
1: some lessons and and made it the next year, and that was the Ohio Collegiate Brass. And in 1995, they changed it to Central Ohio Brass Band because there are so many graduates, and it wasn't really a collegiate group anymore. And uh, I played with them for about another five years. And when it came time uh, to maybe try to get some of these, all these bands that are in the Columbus area together uh, for an event, you know, Central Ohio Brass Band seemed to have a little bit more active board, and I was on their board of directors. And so... uh, We got that going, and uh, it it was originally kind of a pre-contest concert, and so you'd have all the bands that would go to NAVA every year, uh, BBC, Western Reserve, as well as some of the other local bands, the Itzbiddle Alumni Band, Sayada Valley Brass and Percussion, and we all got together, and I think uh, after uh, I stopped running the event, there was a big snow out in March, and I think that's when they moved it to the summertime, so they wouldn't have to deal with any weather issues, but you still get the rain sometimes, which we dodged, I think, the past two years, right, Amy?
2: yeah we didn't dodge the heat last year though
1: that's true yeah this year was perfect wasn't it
2: it was wonderful
0: What snow yeah there's, there's always weather so one way or the other <laughs> if you're, if you're in the winter you get snow i've always thought it was a curious thing um, we did a concert here in the triangle many years ago with um steve, we had steve sykes over from england the tuba player and conductor and it just so happened that the week he was here, we had like a crazy, crazy ice storm that literally shut the town down for three days. And for years after, he was like, well, I don't know if we should schedule a concert that first week in February. We, you know, we could get an ice storm. I'm like, <laughs> it happened once, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, you could get an ice storm anytime. In the winter but this is north carolina the odds of it happening are on the lower side you know, but, but it's like it every year it's a conversation about well there could be a weather event and, you know it's like yeah there could <laughs> yeah
1: i don't think there's any any time that's protected from weather whether it's the heat or the rain or the snow now Amy, a question for you that i'm curious yeah. about is were you in atlantic when the mid-atlantic brass band festival started
2: yeah, I was on the and board then.
1: What kind yep. of got that going? I'm kind of curious.
2: Um, that was Margie Craver. Um, she so so it was it started out we we had been for years we had been getting together with like a the New Jersey kind of the New Jersey Maryland uh, sometimes Virginia sometimes New York kind of collective of brass bands to do a pre NABA show and it was uh it was you know kind of like it was it was similar to to the Dublin festival of brass but it but it was it was never a competition and the the money was pooled together um eventually the money was pooled together to bring in a clinician so then if we pulled together it as multiple bands, then it really wasn't that expensive to bring in some big name to work with all the brass bands. We'd share the time between all of us and get some feedback before NABA. And then once we had um, once we had a clinician or two there, then it was like, well, they're here. They might as well do a masterclass too. And once we had a master class and and we had uh we had the the sessions with the bands, then it was like, well everyone's here, we might as well give people an opportunity to compete with their pieces if they're going to be entering the solo competition at NABA. So that's when we formed the competition, um, and it just kind of expanded from there. And at a certain point, Margie. Uh, craver started kind of leading it it became kind of her project um and we were all we were all working on it but she kind of oversaw the whole thing and then we um we started uh it it became really pretty successful um we had the we had the university resources uh for free as long as we had it over the weekend and um Eventually, we pretty much filled up the the local hotel, and people were staying for a whole weekend. Um, and then uh, the the culmination, the biggest the biggest thing was we started having money left over, um, you know, after after the the um, festival. So Margie had the big idea. Um, and she decided that she would bring Corey over. (laughs) And we were like, you have to be kidding me. Uh, And, uh, and, but, but Margie, Margie can, you know, she thinks of these things. So, um, we committed to bringing Corey over. And so for the next several months, uh, we're all contacting everyone. I'm sure you guys were probably... (laughs) contacted we contacted everyone to basically arrange a tour uh, with Corey so that we could get them over here and it's at some point i remember us sitting there and we we're like we're on the hook for like a hundred thousand dollars right now <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're,
2: like, uh, we're figuring out how many how many locations we have to schedule them for to like bring it down to like a normal amount and and we did it Um, Margie, uh, did a huge portion of that, that quarry tour. Um, so we had them for the, for the festival and that was kind of like, look at where we've come, you know, from this little gathering of, um, of a few bands playing for friends and family in the hall so that we can get a little bit of experience before NABBA all the way through to, uh, classes with the section leaders from, from Corey. So it's
0: funny. It's funny how, you know, how things connect because that, that Corey band tour, mm-hmm. one of the places that Margie got in contact with was here in the triangle. And we, you know, I had to really convince our board to jump on board and take on the, the risk of bringing them in here. And it ended up being one of the greatest concerts we've ever done here in the Triangle. We filled an 1800 seat hall with the Quarry band. And because of that one concert, we had so many kids audition for our youth program the next year. We started a third band. So the the Academy band that we have here is literally a direct descendant of, of 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 that idea, you know. So it's, it's funny how all those things got connected.
1: Yeah, all it takes really is a spark sometimes. And I think, you know, I don't know what the critical mass is, you know, whether it's four or five bands to first come together and have some sort of event like that. You have, didn't you have a one day thing in the Triangle area with all brass in the past couple of years?
0: Yeah. Um, we started a, the North Carolina Brass Band Festival um, the summer before. June, in June of 2019, and we had eight brass bands at it, you know, the four bands from our organization, uh, another local brass band, Smoky Mountain Brass Band from uh, Asheville, uh, Queen City Brass Band from Charlotte, and we had a a youth band from the the divisional Southern South Carolina, North Carolina Salvation Army, Uh, and that went really well and it was really easy to pull that one off, and then the coronavirus hit, and we were on pause for two years, and this this June, uh, earlier in June, we had the second annual, <laughs> you know, over four years, the second annual uh, Brass Band Festival. We had six groups this year. It wasn't all brass bands. We had a couple of brass ensembles, but we, you know, we kept the event going, and all you have to do is have a, you know, a venue to do it at, and a little bit of organization, and, and get the performance off the ground, and you know, we're hoping that next year we'll have some more brass bands participating. There's not as many brass bands around here. You know, we could we probably throw together a really spectacular festival if we had eight brass bands in one town. <laughs> but, you know, but we only have five in our town, so.
1: Well, some of it too is just your organization has four brass bands by itself, right? Yeah, so that's yeah. that's always a good start. It's
0: a, it's it's a, a good starting point, yeah, for sure.
1: When I lived in the UK from 2004 to 2005, Um, I remember there was one stretch where Diana and I must have gone 10, 12 weekends in a row going to brass band events because there's so much stuff going on over there. It started with the areas and then went into like, you know, the Spring Festival and the Masters and things like that and smaller contests like Buxton. And so part of, you know, what I was trying to do is get an idea of what are the different formats that there can be. And even coming back to the States, um, I went out to Seattle one year in January because they've had the Brass Band Northwest Festival. there just to see what they were doing what that's like i went up to toronto for the hannaford festival of brass so just to see you know there's so many different ways things can be done that i think you know once again you just need that group of four or five bands and decide and agree upon how you want to do things and you mentioned amy that there is a contesting aspect to mid-atlantic brass band festival now
2: um it's it's only a solo excuse me a solo competition um and so it started i think it started with Um, we started a youth brass band. (coughs) I'm sorry, a youth, uh, well, we did start a youth brass band, but we started a a youth uh, brass competition first, I believe, um, because we wanted to encourage um, some more area students to compete. And then what we did was it, the Mid-Atlantic Brass Band Festival was usually in like late February. So what I would do is I would go to uh, NJMEA uh, in January and go through all of the booths and, and just say, I am doing a a youth competition, uh, and I'm looking for swag for, for prizes. So, you know, I would just collect, you know, like the, the music, um, music publishers would, would donate a solo or two, um, Military bands, I mean, they, they would just like dump bagfuls of stuff on me, um, area colleges, um, music stores, you know, I'd get lots of stuff. And then we would, um, then on top of that, we, um, we paid the the judges a, a small amount and then the rest of the money, um, was divvied up for the prize winners. Um, and then, um, usually, uh, Dylan's music would would donate a gift certificate and stuff. So they got they got a good amount of stuff. And it wasn't an expensive um competition to run. Um the and usually if the prize money wasn't wasn't, you know, a substantial enough amount, we would take some of the money from the overall budget from the festival so that they could at least win. You know, it was frequently like the winner would get something like. Yeah. we we had like high brass and low brass winner would get like 150 second would get like 100 and third would get like 50 uh which to a kid can can be pretty nice and then they get several gift cards and, and all that swag and some solos um euphonium.com adam phrase uh website was incredibly generous uh they gave a ton of of music and uh, Pat Stuckmeyer would always uh, give lots of stuff as well from from just for brass. So we got we got a good amount of swag um, that we could we could give to the kids. And then I don't know when it was, but then we added adult. And then I think that was the like the NABA categories we had high brass, low melody, high brass technical, low brass, low melody, low brass technical. Um, I don't know when that was added in, um, but it was, it, it brought in, it, especially the youth one, brought in some more people, um, brought in some more kids to the, to the festival. And you could see like they're in there with the master classes and stuff. So even if they weren't in a brass band, you'd see them coming in for that competition.
1: Well, and it can also probably be used as a recruiting tool for the youth band, right?
2: Yep, because while they're there, hey, check out the show tonight. This is a brass band. You know, you want to be in a brass band. This is the information.
1: (laughs) Now, Aaron, where where are things in Tampa? Like you've got Sunshine, Tampa, Tampa Youth Band coming up now. In Orlando, you've got Celebration and Central Florida. Is there enough of a critical mass down there to get something going?
3: Yeah, it's actually funny that you brought up Marjorie because she and I were in conversations about doing a Florida event right before pandemic hit. And I'm sure we're going to open that door here Um, because all of us are we're we're all kind of in the same boat of we're in our first real season back pretty much. Um, But there's also Orchid City is down there and like the Palm Beach area. Um, And then there's another one in Jacksonville that the name is escaping me. Um, And then UF just started their brass band as well. Um, so there is, there is a handful um, here in the state, and it, which is weird um, that there's actually not more going on right now uh, just because there's, there's so many good institutions and so many things. I just don't think the bug has made all, its way all the way down yet. Um, but we eventually do want to do a, um, a Florida event very similar to what the ones that you guys are talking about now and getting that whole thing started. I mean, Central Florida's got a youth group as well. Um, oh, I think everything. they got two now, actually. So it's there. I mean, the the roots and the foundations are there. And I think the people to make – the, I, you know, what, what I'm just listening to all of y'all's stories about this, what it really is is, like, yes, you have the groups and everything. Like, the institutions are there. But it's really just, like, a handful of people who really want to make things happen making things happen. And that's that's really what it is. And I think here we just recently started to get those people and then got hit with a bug that uh, made everything a little bit harder, too. So – Keep, stay tuned. we we'll, we we'll, we're working on it.
1: Well, we um, want the brass band bug, not the COVID bug. right?
2: <laughs> well, well the, yes. Margie, Margie's down there now. So yep. Um, it's only a matter of time. Then. <laughs> I like mentioned it at the, I mentioned it at a pub with
3: Gavin and she happened to be sitting beside me. And then I got an email. I don't even know how she got my email, but I got an email from her. Hey, let's make this happen. Like, like literally uh, the next day. And I don't know how she got my, email. like I was a sub in the group at the time. <laughs> And she she messaged me. She was like, "You seem enthusiastic, and like we could get this done. Let's make it happen." And so I think we'll open the door to
2: that conversation again. That um, is that is Margie. Who knows how she got your email, but she she's on it.
1: <laughs> and that's one of the things I like. You know, I'd, I'd like to see more from NABA in the future. And I know we've started that the past few years. Is you know people pay their NABA memberships, and you know it has always been focused on the contest, I think since 1983 and not so much supporting the regional festivals. I think there was a Silver Bells campaign for some time, but the money ran out. Um, but to see an effort to really help get some of these things jump-started um, so that you know more people can see more bands. I mean, when you have a festival, you've got a built-in audience already too, which helps a little bit with the other band members. And it's always fun to hear um, other bands play. I don't know how many bands you got to hearing me at Obaf because I know you had something going on earlier in the day, but. I think I was there from 11 a.m. until the very end watching every group. It was a lot of fun.
0: How many groups were at OBAP this year?
1: Uh, let's see. I think there were uh, nacho bands. There was two ensembles and then four more brass bands maybe. It was a little lighter year, I think, because of COVID. But, you know, still coming back from COVID. But still a good day out.
0: Does it Does it get better? Um better attendance from bands and better participation from bands by being in the summer versus being in March? Hmm.
1: I think it's tough to tell the attendance for Obaf because so many people, there's a Mexican restaurant where people tend to sit in and and have some beers while they're watching other bands or margaritas or whatnot. Well,
0: I'm not talking about the, the audience. You know, audiences are a crapshoot for brass bands anyways, but oh. what about, about the participating bands? Like... You know, because sometimes some, some bands don't play in the summer. Some bands don't like working things up in the summer. Some bands are on vacation all summer long, like mine, for the most part. Um, you know, so is it more is it better for the for the participation of bands to be during the regular part of the season or in the summer?
1: I think it, it really depends on each band's kind of concert season, like. DSB typically goes through the first week of August and takes a break because they play at the Dublin Irish Festival. Um, BBC and Cobb and Metro Brass usually end around the end of June or July, the week of July 4th and play some some gigs around then. So something in early June I think makes a lot of sense um, for a lot of those groups. The Dublin Youth Brass Band um, had been built around that festival and just getting ready to perform at that festival because it was only like a, a week long or two week long summer course. Although with Amy in charge now, we're looking forward to making that go a little bit more year-round, and hopefully getting them to play both Defob and Obaf next year, which yep. would be great. And Naba. Eventually.
2: Eventually, yes.
1: That's uh, still always so. I think it kind of depends. You know, for Defob right now, you know, this was the first year that BBC and Cobb actually played at it, um, so there were more local bands, but. You know, it's that time of year where bands from Cincinnati and up from Detroit are happy to come down because it's only a, you know, two to three and a half hour drive to get a good run through before an and, you know, have a chance to potentially win some prizes as well. So I think it just depends what's the focus of the different bands and what do they want to do? And when are their times off, like you said? I know May is a tough time to do things because of graduations, though.
0: May May is a rough month. <laughs>
1: school teachers have concerts I don't know how many music teachers you have in your groups a lot band directors yeah so that can be quite a challenge sometimes
0: yeah the AP testing what like with youth bands the AP testing in the first two weeks of May is a real trouble area Um, school band concerts you know it may we don't we don't do anything in May except just rehearse you know we don't do any performances in May with the Triangle Brass Band Just because it's, you know, it's right after NABBA, so you're not really ready to do anything. Um, You know, our our big push was to get ready for our Brass Band Festival the first weekend in June after NABBA. And that's
3: all tough, too, because you're fighting the King Marching Band.
1: Yeah, that's a problem the UK doesn't really have, do they? You know, so you'll have national finals and British Open and local regional contests in October over there. But, you know, that's if you tried to have a festival in October, that'd be a challenge.
0: No, nah, that's the biggest problem with getting anything in the fall is that um, the brass bands are so closely tied in with the uh, the music educators, and, and they're all busy doing marching band in September and October.
1: I think, <laughs> though, one of the things to kind of keep in mind, too, though, is I think sometimes when you first start a brass band, you just go for the low-hanging fruit, you know, people that are already playing instruments, and I think if you can reach out to people that might be interested... Uh, but just haven't had the opportunity of course you have to have the instruments to do that you have to have the people to help them um, i think you know there's a, a way to potentially make brass band a little more inclusive than just stealing people from wind bands you know although that's obviously like i said low-hanging fruit and easy place well, to start that's
3: kind of what the that's kind of what the youth bands do though and we're talking we're talking about like a 20 to 30 year perspective of sorts you know of just like like that's that's our thought process with establishing this tampa group is now and we also have the university group up the road now is like we have a place for them to start as opposed to jumping into the you know the tampa band and learning what brass band is right off the rip like that now you kind of have this like oh i kind of know what this thing is that you can grow and nurture through and we want to eventually like a lot of the uk bands have like that C or D band way down there where it's like you pick up your instrument you don't have to be in a high school or middle school band program to be going through music education you could be going through our program eventually um, which I know is a big thing for a lot of other programs and I you know not a lot of the bands here in the states have that yet so we have to poach from wind band and orchestra people um, and, and, and Orlando commercial players as well
1: and I think you know most what school bands here at least in Ohio I think start students in fifth or sixth grade typically and from what I remember in the UK some of the brass bands and Salvation Army groups they would start kids you know even younger than that sometimes because they had the instruments Um, and the school brand programs weren't necessarily that strong the school I taught at over there I think they might have only had band meet once or twice a week Cause they had kind of, you know, that it wasn't the same schedule every day sort of thing. Amy, did you work with much with beginners or school kids when you were over there?
2: Um, I, I worked with school kids, um, but I worked at, uh, uh, with the uh, Coralton high school kids, but that was through, that was teaching music composition. Um, Cause one of my minors was music education in the community. And so it was specifically like not as a school, like employee music education, like how do you, how do you find grants? How do you fund um, workshops? How do you, how do you set those things out, up outside of the school like network? So um, we did some work in the school setting, but most of that was, was teaching composition. And then outside of, of school, you know, we set up. Uh, clinics and workshops and stuff to to practice how do you advertise how do you gather people together and set something like that up and then I I worked I um I subbed in the Northamptonshire uh which my husband calls Northamptonshire (laughs) Berg like how many (laughs) How many, you know, um, um, but, uh, orchestral wins, um, because they needed, that was a music service. Um, and they won some competition, uh, and the prize was playing in Carnegie Hall. So, um, I got an email (laughs) and they're like, we need these instruments to join our, our community ensemble, our community wind ensemble to play in Carnegie Hall. I was like, oh, free trip to New York, you know, sign me up. Um, So I, I get to see what like a music service was and how it ran as well. So that's something that, that we don't really have much of in we don't well we don't really have like any of in, in the United States a, a music service. Um, what age
1: were those students in the music service?
2: That was um, that was a community funded uh, music service, so that was anyone in the area could participate. So there were high school students through community members um, doing that.
0: Would a, would a music service over there be closely related to what we would consider to be a nonprofit youth organization over here?
2: I think it would be more closely linked to what Dublin is doing because they would get tax taxpayer money to run the the music service. So it was it was publicly funded. Um, so i wouldn't I wouldn't call it a nonprofit, but they're independent, they're
0: independent arts organizations. Like, they're not attached to a school. It is its own business, essentially.
2: I I don't know how much I can say about the organization when you dig deeper into specifically what it's considered and stuff. I think, uh, I think we'd have to ask somebody who spent more time, like Helen Harrelson, could probably be a good person to dig deeper into specifically how it's organized, because I wasn't I wasn't in like the leadership of that to see where specifically all the funds are gathered from and how it's used and what it's legally, you know, set up as, but it was, it was, a uh, at least mostly publicly funded thing. Um,
0: well, I'm not really talking about, you know, like how is it specifically funded, but like, what is a music service? Is it a, is it a program that runs a concert band, a brass band, a choir, an orchestra? You know, like like our youth, like we have a. a if you have a youth orchestra, it, there's two ways you can have one. One is you can have one that's attached to a to a local orchestra, like the, you know, like the Greenville Symphony Youth Symphony Youth Orchestra, or you could just have a, an association like the Greenville Youth Symphony Association, which is independently run as a charity, but um, but it's the, the the organization exists to provide an ensemble experience for for local kids,
2: whether they're in a school program or not. You know? I think this was, I think this was, this is kind of like the local municipality, it runs it.
1: Did they, that also include private lessons along with the ensembles?
2: I'm not sure. Cause I I'm think sure.
1: some of the stuff over there, you know, you might have some private lessons associated with it, or at least maybe your first four as you're getting started on an instrument for the first time just to get going.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and they Diana, have...
1: I was going to say Diana did some peripatetic teaching over there as well where she taught like group lessons to low brass kids for I don't know about 12 weeks or something you know and then if they wanted to continue on they do private lessons but it was just to help get them started
2: mm-hmm. and they had like different um depending on what level you were based on the ABRSM um like scale uh those numbers so they have like um, this exam that you can take. Um, it's, it's a little bit like our solo and ensemble. If we had like, you know, um, you would do like this level and then you pass and then you went on to a certain, you know, the next level. Um, but they have scales and they have a certain list of approved solos. And so you can say that you're at fill in the blank level. And that gives you an idea of if you want to join a community ensemble, what level you're at, and then, you know, what level, the ensembles that so you can find a good fit um I think some yeah. of those
1: in order to do the very top levels you have to like also get above level one or two or three in piano or something like that
2: I'm not sure but yeah I mean it was and so this this ensemble was probably um I would say like a lower level college ensemble um we were playing some some good stuff that's for sure you know and um so that was my my experience in the in the music education realm in uh, in England. I got a whole lot of of education on all the all the tax stuff, <laughs> which did not help me at all because then I moved back to the United States. <laughs> um, but it's cool, like having having that specific minor of of how to organize how to organize a musical event in your community outside of the school realm. So I, I've
0: started a couple of bands up myself. So, you know, I kind of know a little bit about this, but Pat, what, you've also started some bands up, you know, that didn't exist and then they existed. What were some of the things- They didn't,
2: that's, that's really deep. Uh, yeah, yeah, they didn't so. exist. And then they existed. And then Pat came
0: along and they existed. And <laughs> they what, came what, into being.
3: What
1: are, what are some, what are it some, it some of the. It helps when
3: you have help. <laughs> That's the name of this episode now. Tony solves the chicken and the egg riddle. Uh, it helps when you
1: have help down. as part okay. of it. So uh, when we started the Ohio Brass Band in 2008, the whole reason for it was just to get uh, a, a tour. We were going up to like Durham in the UK and playing at the big day, the Miners Gala. And so we just scratched you know scraped together as many people as we could just to do this tour and paul conducted it and it was the reason we did the tour is it was kind of a trial run for when the alumni band uh would go a couple years later um so trying out the trip with only 25 people rather than 100 we thought we'd give that a go and after we went there i knew paul kind of always had a dream of, of playing spike jones music he loves spike jones you know back <laughs> in the vaudeville days yeah I and so i said well, we've got a core of a group, you know, what if we do the US Open and we do an all Spike Jones show? And so we showed up to the US Open and must've come in, I don't know, fourth or fifth place out of eight bands, but we won most entertaining, you know, and I think we won best cornet as well. Um, And so it was kind of just what's this event to get somebody ready for. Um, And then the next year we went back to the US Open because so many people had fun. Um, The next year uh, we joined the Dublin community bands And it was just get ready for the U.S. Open. And then it was, oh, and we'll just get ready for Obaf as well. And then it was like, oh, well, now they want us to play at the Irish Festival in Dublin. And so that band ended up slowly becoming year-round. And I don't think they did NABBA for the first time until, you know, if it started in 2008, maybe 2014 or so. And at the time, too, we had the youth band. And it was, we did the one one course thing. And it was to get ready for a joint concert with DSB. And then it was to get ready for uh, Obaf eventually. Um, and so that's what we've done, and, and, and as you can see with Amy in charge, that's going to grow. And it's still based around getting ready for some of these events. Um, and then I, Metro Glass, it was we're going to get ready for NABA, do a group for NABA, and then it's like we're going to do NABA and Obaf. And so that group will run from January to June. And so the chicken or the egg is by having the festivals and these events, we we're able to create bands, you know, t- to go through and uh, participate in those. Um, so that kind of helps. So and, and I think we've seen that with NABA being in Fort Wayne for so many years and now being in Huntsville, that groups that are in the area have something to shoot for and they want to go to. Um, so I think, you know, if you're in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing going on, it'd be kind of it'd be harder with the model that I was using to get a, a group going. Um, but if you're in an area that's kind of active and you can say, hey, let's shoot for these events and get a group together, I think that's a good way to get started.
0: Yeah, that's, that's interesting that of how bands can form and why they form because the two bands that I started, were basically because of the, the number of people participating was so great we had too many people to fit in one band so we had to make two bands. And then we had so many people audition that we started a third band. So it's, it's kind of, <laughs> kind of an interesting, you know, way you can have different reasons for forming a band from, from nothing.
1: And I think we're hoping to get to that point with Dublin Metro Brass, where there's so many people, we'll end up having two groups, you know, and maybe one will travel to NABBA and one will just do the local events or something like that, you know, uh, but just to get as many people involved. And I think it's really looking at what opportunities do you have around you and, you know, what are your resources um, to get things going.
0: This is an interesting question, but because I know what my answer is, but what is the absolute hardest thing? When
2: forming
1: a brass band, was
0: the absolute toughest thing.
1: I think for me, it's it's more instruments than anything. You know, I think literature you can always bother bother borrow from other groups, but uh, trying to get I mean, you can always start a brass band and have trumpets and euphoniums, but it's probably tenor horns is the main thing, Uh, because a French horn, you know, they're nice instruments and all, but they just don't sound the same and don't create that homogeneous sound them top to, to the bottom of the band i mean river city if you've ever seen them you know they've got a great band um but the horn section just sounds a little different you know
0: yeah they all these years they've been in existence and they couldn't figure out how to buy tenor horns percussion is <laughs> also
3: a really big problem too i mean yeah um, especially like if you if you're planning to do the competition you need stuff like tubular bells and timpani and stuff like that and just my, 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 I got three or four master's degrees in my percussion section. They don't own timpani. <laughs> you know? like, they don't have them
0: just laying around. That just you know? means that they don't have enough work as freelancers. Well,
1: <laughs> if they would have more or what are the, the master's degrees in? in. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> or their spouses are smart enough to talk them off that list. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, it, it's funny, with all, the, all of all of those legit reasons, the absolute toughest thing about starting a band for, for me has always been, what do we call it? <laughs> but naming the band has been the absolute, mo- like, more time has been thought, especially between Jesse Rackley and myself, is, what do we call it?
1: I remember when OCB, the Howe Collegiate Brass, you know, as I mentioned, they split. And it was going to be—is it Central Ohio Brass Band or should we go with Mid Ohio Brass Bands? Uh, but for some reason, they didn't want to be called the Mob. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we like we started our, you know, our second when I was doing the Triangle Youth Brass Band. It was like, okay, well, we have 80 people auditioning, and I take 55 people in it. Um, you know, it's like, well, like, why don't we have enough people to have two bands? Let's just do two bands. So, what do we call it? And it's like, well. We, we're part of the Triangle Brass Band, and it's the Triangle Youth Brass Band Program, so it has to be Triangle Youth something, um, you know. So, so we ended up starting it as the Triangle Youth Brass Ensemble because we didn't have qu- cornets and we did trumpets and French ones to begin with, um, and then um, so it stayed as that for a while um, in the two things, and then when we added the th- the third band we had the instrumentation we didn't have to you know we had been stockpiling you know cornets and tenor horns and baritones so so then was like all right well it has to be triangle youth something and then triangle so what you know what we ended up with triangle youth academy brass band and then we what we ended up doing is renaming the top band to the watson brass band so that we because we were like well we we can't we can't fit anything else into triangle youth something You know, and and I I swear we spent hours just discussing, like, what do we do? How do we solve this problem? It's 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 ridiculous. That's the hardest part of starting a brass band is what do you call
1: it? You could have have just gone triangle youth A, triangle youth B, triangle youth C. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, probably. (laughs) Where the hell were you when we were having this discussion?
1: (laughs) It's all where you want to spend your energy, you know, if it's on the name, then
0: i swear the rest of it was easy oh we got to get horns okay well let's figure out how to get horns let's you know it's
1: it easy compared to
0: that um so oh so rehearsal we,
1: space can also be a problem too you know and that goes back to percussion like aaron said yeah if you can that's find a literal space that has yeah. percussion already like a school that's or university that's helpful
0: it's almost necessary yeah um so we you know um aaron is keeping track of things and uh mentioned that we got to figure out what our question of the day is Our question of the episode is going to be i don't know if, if aaron if you had something i've got something that's kind of kicking through my mind that would be kind of an interesting thing to ask i always panic a little bit fine. what i want i do want to uh,
3: tell i do want to tell pat uh, how much i appreciate you also looking like um, you, you and I being uh, brothers in jeans and polos at the, at the at the thing at Nava. I appreciate you so much. I had been in a suit that whole weekend and I thought now was my time to like chill out and then we got called on stage. I had no idea we were going back on stage as like like representatives or anything. And so uh, when you when you came up to me, you were like, okay, you look like garbage too. Let's go
0: sit down together.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, I had you. been dressed up all weekend and I was like, I'm finally off duty. I'm just yep. going to wear polo and jeans.
0: Well, I I envy you guys having enough time to go change into something, not a suit. (laughs) I didn't even have time to do that. (laughs) I would have loved to if I was uncomfortable all weekend being in a suit the whole weekend. It sucked. Um, So what was the question you got? So so the question is, since we're dealing with people who are are doers and and, and forward thinkers and and like to start things, this is going to be kind of a, a dreamer type of question. Is it, if you could start anything, what would be the ultimate thing you could start? Let's keep it brass band related. <laughs> um, but if there, but if, there, if there was a project that were like, man, if I, if I didn't have any of these, any obstacles in my way, what would be the thing that I would I would definitely start? who wants to start
1: i I feel like i'm pretty good with what we've already got going you (laughs) know and just continuing it and maintaining it because once you get it going you know to keep it sustainable is enough of a challenge
3: so what are some of the pipe let's it is you could you could also i don't know what were you gonna say well what what are some of like the pipe dreams for what you've already done then like what's the what what's the real like hopeful shoot goals for what you've what you've got going on
1: I don't know if I have any left. I mean, I've gotten to go over with bands to the UK probably half a dozen times already. You know, we've been to so many different events here. We've got so many groups in town to see. Um, And you know, I noticed at Obaf this year that like every group that played, I played at least one gig with at one point in time. And so it was like I knew all those bands and all those people, and it you know was just you know felt just like a great experience to 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 have had all those opportunities. I guess I just kind of feel lucky where I'm at right now. Um, I suppose if anything, you know, it might be kind of nice to have if there was like a a Napa bus or something where you had all the instruments underneath and you could go from town to town and do a one week workshop in the summer and bring brass band in places that hadn't seen it before or had it before, or maybe didn't have access to instruments or things like that, um, just so that they could get a bug and maybe help them get started and i know yamaha used to do something like that in the summer many years ago Um, but that that could be a fun summer to spend and then let somebody else do it the next summer sort of thing
0: that'd be a great thing to start as long as you don't have to keep it going right
1: right exactly (laughs) (laughs) what about you aaron
0: i'd really like to get
3: a um a conservatory started and uh, with the brass band (laughs) idea um, going, I think that's that's our big go, and especially if we could get it like, and I th- I know this is a this is a huge pipe dream, but I'd love if it could become a federally funded thing so that it, a person's income level did not necessarily dictate whether or not they had access to being in in the conservatory. But also, I'm able to create jobs for musicians to work in the conservatory and um, give outlets to my music education friends to work that isn't necessarily public school oriented.
1: Yeah, you know what that makes me think of, Aaron, actually, now that you you mentioned that is like, I always thought if I ever won the lottery, I'd want to build a theater that had like a hotel and a pub connected to it and band rooms, multiple band rooms. And like, you could have like a dormitory. So like, if somebody finishes at RNCM, and they wanted to come over here for a couple years, and they could work at the hotel and teach youth bands and all that stuff, you know, it's kind of, that's, that's a serious pipe dream, you know, that would be hundreds of millions of dollars, I think, to get started. But, you know, it's kind of along that conservatory line. But I was thinking, how cool would it be if we could bring over some of the young talent that has had opportunities to play in the top bands there, like a group of, you know, eight to 10, to just sit in with the brass band and help get it started and then teach private lessons to all the kids and get youth bands going and things like that. Yeah, what about you,
2: Amy? I am a person who has, like 10 projects in my head at all times and then as time goes on um it kind of weeds out the ones because I only have limited time so so as time goes on I figure out which one I can actually devote my time to um and and but there's but then there just is like this whole big pile of ideas that just kind of sits there uh so I have um first off I want to make a so I have, I have like my, my realistic projects and then I have your answer, like the pipe dream, this would be a really cool thing to do. Um, so the realistic ones is I'd like to do um, a book um, similar to Labor and Love, um, where uh, I outline the history of the, bra- of the brass band movement in North America through personal stories and quotes. Um, and reflections. Um, And then through all of these quotes and reflections and everything, you get an overall kind of history um, from a personal perspective. I'd love to make a website for Amy's Brass Band um, and have like clickable like samples of each instrument, get people to, and I I have a few people who, who committed to doing it, but I'm like, I just can't set up that intricate of a website right now. It takes time um, but I'd love to do that, like an interactive website, um, and I, I'd love to to get that put out in Spanish. I have it translated, but I just I need time. I don't have time. If anybody has time for sale, I would love to purchase some. Um, I would like. This is probably going to actually get done. I'd like to make a warm up, uh, a rhythm warm up book, because um, one of my. <laughs> My minors this is like this is like you me talking about her minors at the rncm uh one of my minors was sight reading was researching a whole bunch about sight reading and how we sight read and how we read rhythms and i'd love to set up like a warm-up book so like you know how brass bands do like their like their their hymn book or whatever you'd have your hymn book and then you'd have your rhythm of the day and it would go over a specific rhythm so that every time you come up with um every time you you have that rhythm combination you've practiced it because the research says that if you look at rhythms in in the patterns that they frequently appear that you're going to be more efficient so so have like all of the rhythm patterns so that each week you went over a different rhythm pattern like eighth and two sixteenth notes and make like a little a to you know everyone play on like f or whatever (laughs) you know and they they play through that um and so that over like a season you'd go through all of these different rhythms with uh, youth brass band. So that one that one will probably happen because I see the usefulness with the youth brass band. but this is this is like the cool thing that I probably I will never do, but it was just a fun idea. And I was like, hey, this would be really cool. Like, um re like switch up uh, Whit Friday and find a place that has a ton of like, wineries and and like uh and breweries and like have the bands travel between all of those they could they could come up with like like a pot of money you know and award prizes however they wanted but bands would like travel between the wineries and the pubs and the breweries and play and try to win when that money and then people the audience that you know you would bring in audiences to all those places to see all the bands travel through and everything so that was my kind of fun idea that would never happen but it was like hey that would be super cool
0: but i mean that doesn't sound like it would be that horribly difficult to pull off actually
1: i think arkansas was looking at trying to do that and they were going to call it wheat friday
0: (laughs) (laughs) i remember him telling about that
2: Really that funny. would be that would be super cool because atlantic plays atlantic Place at a winery in new jersey and new jersey has a ton of wineries um i don't know if you realize just how many wineries um I, somebody told me that um in the 1700s when um when england wasn't importing any french wine they had a competition to see where they were going to get their wine from and it was new jersey <laughs> so um they have a, a concert at a winery and it's built into the contract uh that we get wine at the end of the show <laughs> so i was like this would be awesome well i think we do have
1: about 14 like microbrewery tap rooms in columbus so you never know
2: that yeah once once again if you have any time for sale let me know i'll purchase it <laughs>
0: that's great those are great ideas all right. Well, it looks like we're uh, we're coming to the end of our allotted time before Amy has to go on to her next thing. <laughs> thanks so much for coming,
1: Pat. Yeah. No. Thanks for the hang. It's been great chatting with all of you. <laughs>